welcome to the Think Orange podcast, where we want to encourage and equip leaders like you who are investing in the faith and future of the next generation. This summer, we are so excited to share with you a special podcast takeover from some of our good friends. If you've ever listened to the Rethinking Youth Ministry podcast, you know it's a great resource. And we are celebrating the return of the RYM podcast by sharing some of our favorite episodes right here. Now, maybe you don't work directly with teenagers, or maybe you lead kids or staff members or volunteers. Maybe you're a parent, and if that's you, I want you to stick around because the conversations in these episodes will be helpful to all leaders, no matter the age. And if you like what you hear, head on over to Rethinking Youth Ministries podcast and subscribe to that one too. But for now, enjoy this fan favorite episode from Rethinking Youth Ministry. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Rethinking Youth Ministry podcast. Sorry, guys, we are uh, talking about sports this week, and sometimes sometimes I get a little carried away, but welcome to the podcast, where each week we are hoping to raise the bar for youth ministry by asking some questions, interviewing thinkers, having some real honest conversations about what it looks like to lead the next generation, and we're okay with having a little bit of fun while we do that. So I am Brett, and joining me this week is Ashley Bohan. Hey, friends. Stuart Hall! What's up? <laughs> and handsome Dan Scott making his inaugural appearance. Thank you, Brad. How's it going? It's going all right, man. Good, good. Kind of in my wheelhouse right now. Yeah. So, Dan, this is your first time on the podcast. It is. So, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. I am on staff here with Orange in the elementary world. I'm the curriculum director for our kids and cool. preteen curriculums, which yeah. is super fun. Heck yeah. Yeah. And I am a parent. An expert parent. Well, I, I mean. <laughs> the best ever. Have you seen <laughs> his posts? It is always questionable. <laughs> but uh, my wife and I, we live here in Georgia and we have four kids. Yes. Awesome. And so you're going to be bringing your experience and perspective to this conversation that we're having today about surviving the constant competition between church and sports. We literally live this every, every. weekend <laughs> of our lives right now, for sure. So let's start off with something a little bit fun. I want to hear what is your greatest athletic accomplishment? Humble brag time, safe place. No one's going to judge you. I don't know if it's my greatest accomplishment, but my freshman year in high school, I got dunked on three straight times down the floor <laughs> by Charles Barkley. Oh, for what? real? Yes. That's amazing. That is Sir Charles. something to brag about. That. Back when he weighed 325 and they had signs in the restaurants in Auburn, Alabama that said, please do not let Charles Barkley eat here. <laughs> What? I didn't know who he was, and three straight times down the floor he dunked. Listen, over. if you're gonna be dunked on anybody by anybody, exactly, yeah. Sir Charles. That's Sir amazing. Charles is it? Yep, that's unbelievable, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> well, all of that, I, I know. I mean, and which is it, it wasn't an accomplishment, yeah, by the but, way. I mean, but it's still, I mean, it wasn't my goal. Right? That's right. That's, Hopefully, that's everybody knows who he is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's terrible. That guy, terrible, <laughs> terrible. <laughs> terrible. Well, honestly, I, I did play soccer growing up, but like, 
I did it because everyone else did it. Like, I think I got most improved one year, you know, like that, that sort of thing. That's a big deal. So I, I'm more of like the artistic kind of person. Um, but I really do love soccer and I don't know. It's our accomplishments, a, a sports accomplishment, we're season ticket holders for the Atlanta United. And you were at the, what, the world record, whatever. Oh, game. yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. And, uh, yes, the most people for the MLS yeah, yeah. in one spot for a specific So for like, all game. you out there, they give Atlanta a lot of grief because we're not a sports town. We're a sports town. Look at our soccer Atlanta team. United, for real. Yeah. yeah. All right. And Ashley, you want to go last because yours no. is probably the greatest. So I'll go ahead and go. Um, <laughs> I was the five-time champion of the Extreme Trampoline Wrestling League in Avon, Indiana, in high school. I mean, that's a thing. That was yeah. We we made it a thing. <laughs> so okay. Fun. You are such a youth pastor. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, like in his blood. Yes. Five-time champ, hardcore Harry, world champion, world ETW world champion of David Harrison's backyard. <laughs> <laughs> You should have gone last. What man. is the what is the sanctioning organization that declares you <laughs> world champion? ETW. It was me and a bunch of buddies. That's, well, that's video, so great with a video camera in the early two thousands. That's amazing. Nice. And explain to everybody how that game works. It, the extreme trampoline wrestling is yeah. you do a bunch of wrestling moves on your friends in their backyard on a trampoline. And you dress up in costumes and you do <laughs> oh, fake oh. interviews. Oh, yeah. Do costumes. we need pictures Imagine, in show notes? Yeah. Can we get pictures in the show Possibly. notes? Because we need those. Possibly. Imagine professional what? wrestling Ew. in a kid's backyard. But what was your wrestling name? <laughs> I was Hardcore Harry. All you were that. Hardcore Harry? Yeah. You were Hardcore Harry. Mm -hmm. Like, what was Wait, your costume? He's really serious, guys, right now. <laughs> the <co> like, <laughs> there's nothing joking The costume right now. Didn't, didn't have much rhyme or reason to it. It was actually it was actually a church softball jersey that like I had painted on. Yeah. All right, Ashley, what do you got? <laughs> Top of that. I have to follow that. <clears throat> I played four years of Division One soccer. Heck yeah, yeah. And where? Kent State Kent University. State. Can't read, can't write. Kent State. <laughs> <laughs> and there you go. In oh. Ohio. Yes. Okay. All right. So we're going to make a transition here. All right. So Good. we're talking about surviving the constant competition between church and sports. And obviously, in a very real way, we're not just talking about sports. At one of the churches that, that I was on staff at, really high school band was more mm -hmm. of the issue in Absolutely. town mm -hmm. than, than, yeah. than local sports were. So really, we're just kind of talking about, you know, the activities that, that pull the, the energy and attention and attendance and all of those kind of things away from what we're hoping they get involved with is, you know, in our churches and, you know, more importantly than that, their spiritual, their spiritual lives, their faith formation, all of those pieces. So what are some ways as we jump into this conversation that church leaders feel this tension with this constant battle? So Brett, I'd like to push back immediately and not to be a contrarian. Yeah, by any, totally. By any, I think, I think that the question that we're posing and the premise is very, is dangerous and it's skewed. Hmm. What do you mean? Um, I think that because we've declared a competition between something that could yeah. really be a beautiful partnership, hmm. uh, surviving the constant competition insinuates that athletics is a problem, hmm. that uh, students that play sports aren't, who they need to be spiritually. Mm. Yeah. And, and there's a loser. 
Correct. That, so some one of those sides is going to lose. Yeah, I think we. I just think we need to think very carefully about what it is that we're talking about, because for some reason we tend to act as if sports is the apex issue with yeah. the church and the family. I'm of the personal opinion that the church owes athletics a sincere apology and a standing ovation. Hmm. And I would love for us to kind of tackle that. It does not mean that there isn't tension, right? Mm -hmm. But tension isn't always unhealthy. Hmm. It's I think how we deal with the tension. So uh, I wanted to say that from the get go, um, not again, not to be a kind of classic or a contrarian. Right. I want to make sure that we're, we're asking the right question because if we ask the wrong question, we're going to wind up in the wrong place. Absolutely. Ashley, what do you think about that? Um, I'm still trying to figure out this whole, this whole topic, honestly. Um, I think there are four viewpoints to consider when we talk about this. It's, it's the viewpoint of the youth pastor, the viewpoint of the coach, the view, viewpoint of the parent and the viewpoint of the kid who's playing. And I think one of the biggest pitfalls that youth leaders fall into and, and parents, um, and coaches, all, all of them is that they don't understand the other person, hmm. the other viewpoint well enough. And I think one of the biggest gifts that we can give youth pastors, give parents, give coaches is perspective. Hmm. And I think that one of the most important things we can do is share from what we've lived through, um, what we've learned and what we've led through to help people understand the sides, because I think then that's where you find the the common ground and the beautiful, the way that they can complement each other and lift each other up rather than toss blame back mm. and forth. That's good. I love that you mentioned those four audiences, you know, the four mm -hmm. viewpoints. Yeah, the four viewpoints that we need to consider because as the parent of the kid who's not coming on Sundays because he is playing, uh, mm -hmm. you know, he's playing soccer or, or you know, whatever. Um, I've often felt that like, okay, so do you even know, like, does the youth pastor, does the small group leader, does the person on the other side even want to understand my point right. of view? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're just looking at their numbers, what they need to accomplish on a Sunday without mm -hmm. looking holistically at this child's entire experience as a human being, as we're raising an adult. Right. You know, um, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's good. And I think sports, no matter where I've traveled and, and visited churches and Stuart, Dan, you guys have done this too. Yeah. Um, it's everywhere, whether it's band or whether right. it's soccer or <laughs> football Dance or, or whatever yeah. it is, it's, Honestly, the church isn't going to change that, in my humble opinion. No. It's so no. huge in culture. It's and it just makes a matter kid... of how we relate to it is what's going to have to yeah. change. Yeah, and from the kid's perspective, now they feel guilty because they're going to choose the sports, but we've kind of shamed them. And so they feel the tension, but they're still going to choose the sport. Right. Yeah. And, the, I, and the once a month that they might show up, they don't have a game. They actually do show up. And we, we and make you're like, the, where are you? Yeah, where we make you them been? feel bad. Yeah. And it's like, what? Like, the next month, they're like, well, I don't really want to go back. They're just going to make me feel bad that I wasn't there the previous few weeks. Yeah. If, we, if we follow the original premise and the question to its logical end, the implication would be that all of our Christian student athletes who are a part of high school and club sports extract themselves from those teams so that they – because like Dan, I have a daughter who's still in high school, played – plays club soccer and high school soccer. 
if we remove every Christian teenager from the high school and club sports teams, have we really accomplished what it is that we're saying we want to accomplish? Mm -hmm. That's really where I think we lose perspective because there is an unspoken implication when we are banging the drum of competition. And that is you should be at our deal Mm -hmm. because we have, and Rightfully so. I mean, student pastors and churches are expending tons of resources, time, energy, blood, sweat, yeah. and tears yep. to yeah. to program. But I'm of the opinion that the reason why you're programming is to enable and influence students to go and influence their peers. And the greatest mission field we have in many respects in our own country are sports teams, athletics, and the high school campus. Jesus said to go in, in, in Judea, Samaria, and to the outer reaches of the world. Heads up, everybody. We're the outer reaches. Hmm. Yeah. We're, we're, we're not Jerusalem. <laughs> we're the <laughs> outer reaches. And that means that we have a culture. Part of the reason why this is an issue is that we're, we're in a culture that, as you guys have very well stated, it has amplified and elevated sports probably to an ungodly place. But it's such an incredible place for our kids to not only learn invaluable life skills, and this is going to cause some friction, that the church isn't positioned to teach. (laughs) But it also, and I think this is the better part, it it serves as a great place for our, our student athletes to be an influence. I think something that's so important um, is to understand the viewpoint from which each of us are talking. So like right now I can hear laced in everything that you're saying is, is you've been a youth pastor, you Mm -hmm. are a father, you've been a coach um, and you were a player, right? So you have, you're able to put (laughs) (laughs) very much. Yeah. Sorry. I I didn't know how to frame that. Yeah. I I appreciated your delicacy there. You were gentle to my fragileness. So I, I just think what's interesting is you can put yourself in all of those positions from your experience. Mm-hmm. And I but know a lot for, of youth pastors can't. Exactly. Which is why I think it's important to understand that if you can, if you know the perspective from which each of us are talking, you can understand it's not swayed one side, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yes. So for me personally, I can talk from the athlete who's lived the life and the dream that every parent has for their students teenage kid to play college soccer on a scholarship. Like I can talk from that perspective. I can talk from the perspective of a coach, uh, whether it's a middle school travel club team or whether it's the varsity soccer team at a high school. And I can talk from the perspective of a youth pastor. I am not currently a parent. I've worked with parents and my dad and I have had amazing conversations post-college career about what he was going through and kind of like really healthy conversations after that I can share. And Dan, why don't, why don't you give us some of yours and then Brett, yeah, I I mean right now I'm I'm a parent mm-hmm. of of a ninth grader uh, who has been playing club soccer for the last you know four years. So this has just been a part of our you know normal phase of life you know for a while. Um, I was a children's pastor, mm-hmm. um, which you know some would say, well, kids don't really have to deal with this, but they do. Mm-hmm. The the level at which kids are competing, whether it be sports or dance or cheer or gymnastics, the weekend is where that happens. So it doesn't matter whether they're 10 years old or, you know, 17 years old, the, the weekends, you know, we feel that mm-hmm. as a parent. Can I interject something yeah, sure. right there? 
I think this is important for youth pastors to understand too. Coaches are not playing on the weekends because they're anti-church. Mm-hmm. Yes. Many times Absolutely. it's economic. It's yeah. time related. Yeah. And it's that's when the it's, field is free. It's something as simple as the field's available. Yeah. So it's not I think there's this Or they have a job. Right. During I, the week. I, yes. I think there's this this ideal that our idea that coaches in America are against the church. Nothing could be further from the truth. Sorry. Or, Continue. Or alongside that, as a parent, sometimes I feel like the youth leader doesn't realize how much we wrestle with it. That that this hmm. seems like, oh, you're just choosing your kid over the church. And no, like when that schedule comes out, the first thing I do is look at all the Sundays and how that impacts our yeah. lives. I don't serve at my local church. It impacts me. Mm-hmm. It, it, my ability to serve the local church because my son plays in travel sports. Because so you it's would, not because you would be inconsistent as a leader. Absolutely. Right. So why should I? I would. You know, I'm because I believe in the consistency of the right. leader. So absolutely, right. um, it doesn't it just impact him and his relationship with the church. It impacts my wife and I's relationship with the church. Yeah. You know, and that that is often not talked about. Mm-hmm. From that parent's perspective, which I was glad that actually brought that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brett, what about you? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I grew up playing baseball and basketball were kind of the two big sports that our family did. Baseball was kind of my main sport, you know, did some travel ball, AAU ball. But my story is a little bit different. I, I stopped playing basketball in high school to focus on baseball. And then I quit baseball after my freshman year. I mean, I could have kept playing, you know, whatever, but... You know, something that I that we probably all notice is the specialization of sports that mm-hmm. exists in our culture. Yeah. You know, back, you know, 30, 50 years ago, it was very strange for a sport to exist outside of its three or four month season. Mm-hmm. And now it's a, hey, you play baseball, you play baseball all year long. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And and I wasn't I wasn't willing to commit to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I the, the the amount of time it took away from, from from my friends, literally, you know, from from church, from youth ministry, the trips I didn't get to go on, different things like that. That was a that was a big thing for me that that kind of caused me to 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 step away from that. So from having that sort of experience, and also from being you know the one in ministry that is you know that is struggling and wrestling with, oh my gosh, I, I want. I want all of these things for my kids. I want them to be everything that God created them to be. And, and we create all of these, you know, strategies and programs and events to help move them to that place. And, and people aren't showing up. You know, some of my pushback, Stuart, with what you were saying is, you know, what an awesome opportunity for them to, to influence and to lead their peers in those situations. But if, from literally sixth grade before sixth grade on, they're playing travel sports. They're not involved in the church. If the parents aren't feeling equipped at home to be discipling them and leading them spiritually, how are that? How are we going to, as the church, help get them to the place where they can comfortably share their faith, where they have the skills, they have you know the 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 understanding, the awareness of their faith. Good. To actually have the mindset of, hey, when I'm with my friends and I'm on the bus to this game, I could ask these kind of questions. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, my attitude when I'm out here playing, it can be this example or it can be that example. So how do we how do we help that happen if they're not if they're not around? I, I would I would respond with a couple of thoughts, and I think we probably should all keep in mind that a lot of this is drone thirty thousand foot. Oh yeah, totally. Because every situation 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is, this is, is our story. Is, this is your story. It's different. Yeah. Yep. But we at Orange and we across America and Youth Ministry America are talking a lot of noise about partnering with parents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what you just talked about is an incredible opportunity to partner with mom and dad. Here's a heads up. Not every parent is allowing their kids to play high school or travel sports because because of the process and what it helps as far as character and integrity are concerned. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, regardless of why they're doing it, those things are developed. Hmm. Yep. There are a ton of moms and dads that see it as a meal ticket. They see hmm. it as a way for them to get a college scholarship. And we don't need to shy away from that reality. But the other side of it is there are a lot of moms and dads, and I can I will speak for myself. We are first of all, when our three children were young, mm-hmm. we they tried everything. Yeah. You know, dance, piano, guitar, cheerleading. There are days I wish they didn't play sports. (laughs) I wish they, you know, sat in a beanbag and played Call of Duty and protected their country. That's what I wish they did. But they don't. Okay. But what I also know, uh, I think it was Benjamin Martin in The Patriot. He has this line where he said, I'm a parent. I don't have the luxury of principles. Hmm. Kelly and I have a responsibility to make sure that our kids understand what it's like to be Jesus with skin on in a culture that is cruel, that is diverse, mm. that isn't always fair. Mm. And whether you like it or not, the church is not positioned to teach those things. The church is the most segregated hour still mm. on a Sunday. The reason why I have great friends of color, it's because of athletics. It's not because of the church. Mm. The reason why my children have those friends is that. So uh, there's no question that that it's a difficult thing for a student ministry to connect to a kid. But what we're seeing in all the data that screams at us from high school, especially part of the reason why by the middle of 10th grade kids are checking out anyway is because they have sat and they've been information fed for so long. Yeah. And they, you know, it's what chef talks about all the time. T-Rex wants to hunt. T-Rex doesn't want to be fed. (laughs) And, and that environment is an incredible place for them to learn how to not survive, but Mm. to thrive and to be some biblical things, to be salt, to be light. Uh, I mean, what Colossians teaches us, you've been created by God, for God, for the glory of God. The last thing I would say is I would, I would caution student leaders to assume that every parent has their kids playing sports. It's the flip side of what I said earlier. Hmm. There are some parents who really love Jesus yeah. And they're, you know, I consider Dan um, one of these parents. They really love Jesus and they want their ki- kids to be unbelievably passionate about Jesus. Yeah. And doing hard things is a part of that growth yeah. process. Yeah. If there is a church that can create real tension in real time, show me it and I'll go. Mm. But the reason why we like, we champion athletics. It's because it is real time pressure. It's real time tension, and the discussions we have with our kids about oh, their yeah. faith hmm. blows sure. away what, as a youth pastor, I would stand up and say to a kid. Yeah, 
I don't, I don't know if that helps. So, okay. So I have some thoughts going back to also what Brett said from the youth pastor's perspective, right? They meet what once a week and their athletics are every day. Okay. So is the, is it really like a Sunday morning conversation we're having about like choosing athletics versus sports? I mean, athletics versus youth ministry. You know what I'm saying? Like you have all these opportunities to go be Jesus to your team all the other six days of the week. Mm -hmm. So what are we talking about Sunday morning or Wednesday night or whenever it is that you're meeting? You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Here's what, here's how I would probably respond. I think part of it is an integrity issue that if you're committing to a team yeah, and the, and you're trying to be an example of Jesus, one side would say, well, if you don't go to practice or you don't go to, to a game because you're attending church, you're making a declaration of how important Jesus is to you. And I would say that's true, but there's another side of it too. And mm-hmm. that is, I care about you, but I don't care about you today. I'm going to I'm going to bug out on my team. I'm going to quit on my team. I'm not going to be the leader that I am on my, on our team. I'm going to create a gap on our team. And that sends a message not only to those kids, it sends a, me- sends a message to the coach, it sends a message to the other parents that Kelly and I are trying to influence. Because well, so there's about, a ton of investment in small them. group. Yeah, what about the flip side of the, of of the small group? They've, you know, for for a, a lot of the churches that have the small group kind of a model where hey, we've, you know, I've I've got this. Let's say we're talking about a, a a junior guy. I've you know I've had this group that I've walked with for the past you know five years. We've been building these relationships. How do you manage that mm-hmm. that tension of you know I would say those same things like yeah that that group is trying to build a, a camaraderie and relationships and they're trying to do life together. And as a parent, I want my kids to understand, hey, this is what it's like to come together in a faith community and to have to have conversations and, and, and wrestle with how we understand what, what God is calling us to and, and those kind of things, to have those conversations. And but if that's con- But those conversations don't have to happen on Sunday. Like, by at least by high school, your, your small groups should be a daily text message, a yeah. conversation. Uh, I think part of why, you know, our son hasn't felt so drawn, so drawn to his high school, you know, the high school ministry that I, I don't think his small group leader has ha- has hardly reached out this year. Mm-hmm. Like where, how are you? How's soccer going? Not where are you? Why yeah. aren't you coming today? It, it, Mm-hmm. It, the conversation needs to be different hmm. and the small group leader should be shepherding the kid through whatever the kid is experiencing in their life. Yeah. So whether they are there physically on Sunday or not, that small group leader should be figuring out, figuring out ways to shepherd that child. Hmm. Yeah. And don't make, I, I would also caution this. Don't make the assumption too, that when we're talking about this again, it's all relative to the kid. Hmm. Our our daughter doesn't miss every Sunday, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when she does misses, here's what's interesting: her small group leader and I have pictures on my phone. We can put in the show notes if you'd like to see them. Uh, her small group leader one day showed up in Greenville, South Carolina, on a Sunday to watch our daughter play. That's hmm. so great. Her small group leader one year that our daughter was on homecoming court, I asked Cameron, "Who is that woman taking pictures of us that I couldn't see?" I'm on the field escorting her and i'm like who is that she's like sam that's my small group leader (laughs) because sam understood and understands 
that by the middle of the 10th grade year, the turf changes and it's no longer about coming to come to our deal. We're going we're I'm going to do whatever it has. I have to do to make sure that I'm involved in your world. Mm. Um, And and I think part of the tension is that we have kind of programmed everybody to think that unless they show up. Yeah, I can't have influence in their life. We have a super narrow view of what faith community can look like. And and that's where we operate from. You know, we Mm. we feel like we have this paradigm that everything happens at this one building, but the world has decentralized and the church hasn't figured out how to do that yet. Right. All right. I, I love that idea, Dan, but I can't help but think about the youth pastors that are sitting out there that even if, even if they don't subscribe to, to where the church still is and that they haven't decentralized, they're a part of an organization that is. And so they're kind of stuck in this organization where they're getting graded and they're getting judged by who's showing up to this? Who's not showing up to this? What are the numbers for this? Why hasn't this person been here for so long? And then you've got these great leaders that are obviously a great leaders are going to find places to lead. So some of your greatest leaders are only showing up once a month because they're committed to all these other things that they're leading. And you want to give them opportunities within the church to lead. And then you're getting pushback from other parents and church leaders that are saying, what in the world is this kid doing on the stage? It's the first time he's been here all month. My kid's here every single week and he doesn't get any sort of opportunities like this. So they're feeling those tensions. And and if we're honest, I'll even own some of this. Sometimes there's an ego piece to this that we feel like as the church, what we can do for teenagers is more important than what anyone can else can, can do for teenagers. And I think that's twisted. I think that I think that where that comes from is the idea that we wholeheartedly believe that the most important thing in a student's life is their faith formation. It's their relationship with Jesus. Absolutely. And, and we, we marry that, we marry that too legalistically with programming yeah. or with, with church, which absolutely is, is yeah. there, there's a piece of yeah. that and that can absolutely be a huge part of that. But this is where orange comes in, right? Because yellow needs to be the best yellow possible, yeah. but they need to resource the red to be the best red possible. Yeah. Because if I knew how I could leverage what's happening on Sunday as a parent in the life of my kid, yeah, that'd be great because I'm raising an adult. I'm not raising a teenager. Yeah. And it is the hardest thing I will ever, ever, ever do. It's like trying to fold a fitted sheet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It is the most impossible thing. Does that mean my wife's a better parent than I am? Because she's way better at that than me. And I know what my, I mean, my, Liam's been playing soccer since second grade. Like yeah. he found that thing. He had the soccer ball in his feet and it was just the thing. Right. Yeah. And so I'm going to nurture that thing, not because of a scholarship, but because it is what he loves and is what he enjoys. And it is where he finds life. Now, if the church did that, he would choose the church. Yeah. The church isn't doing that. Yeah. Guys, I'm so grateful that we get to have this conversation around the circle and that we have something like this podcast mm-hmm. where, where you all can listen in. Clearly, we're all pretty passionate about this <laughs> love it, love it. from our own experiences. And so we want to make sure that you guys subscribe to the podcast so you guys don't miss this next week as we jump back in and we keep this train rolling. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Dude, dude. <laughs> Stuart Hall, folks. <laughs> 
listening to the Think Orange podcast and for tuning in to this special episode from Rethinking Youth Ministry. If you'd like to hear the rest of this episode, search Rethinking Youth Ministry wherever you listen to podcasts and you'll find the entire episode there. And if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to check out more resources from Orange students, including our weekly youth ministry curriculum, XP3. And help us welcome back Rethinking Youth Ministry by posting your favorite episode and tagging at Orange Leaders and at Orange Students in the post. That's it for the Think Orange podcast. Until next time, keep investing in the faith and the future of the next generation.